model is just um, a way to kind of, you know, to try to predict something. But this got so popular that, you know, people just started believing in it completely and, you know, stopped being rational about it, right? And uh, so, yeah, you always have to be a bit skeptical about models that predict the future. You know, they can't be wrong. Hello there. How are you all? Did you have a good weekend? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I am interviewing The Rational Root. Now, if you don't know Root, he has built a big following on Twitter with his on-chain and cycle analysis. And we are in a bit of a weird market at the moment. Last year, people were calling for 100k, 200k, even a 300k Bitcoin. Shout out to you, American HODL. Thanks for your half a Bitcoin, mate. And obviously, that failed to materialize, and we now find ourselves in another Bitcoin bear market. Also, we've had all this macro stuff that's played into this. We've had the Fed tightening and raising rates, as well as all the crypto shit with Terra Luna, Three Arrows Capital, and Celsius blowing up. And the Bitcoin price has crashed. We got as low as 17.5K in June, and we seem to be bouncing around 20K. So I asked Root to come on the show and to answer the question on everyone's lips, where is the bottom? OnChain has had its fair share of critics over the last year or so, but I think as a tool to use alongside other factors and analysis, it is still a worthy discussion. Okay, I've got to say, for those listening to the podcast, Root did bring slides with him. And while we do our best to explain what is going on when we're working through it, this one is probably best if you also go and check out the slides. So you can either download those from the show notes or go and watch the video, which is up on YouTube. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, feel free to drop me an email. It is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Welcome to the UK, Mr. Carrotman. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here in Bedford. It's a pleasure to have you here in Bedford. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about. I think so. So, can you predict the market? <laughs> no. Listen, lots, lots of stuff's been ha happening, uh, lots of charts, lots of models over the last few years. I follow some uh, on-chain people, and it's got to the point where I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to ignore this shit. I'm just going to buy Bitcoin, forget about it, because I don't, <laughs> it doesn't seem like anyone knows what they're doing, or sometimes they get a bit lucky. But then along comes Root. And the first thing I saw of yours that really stood out to me was that circular chart. You yeah. know the one I'm on about? The spiral chart. The spiral yeah. chart. I was like, okay, yeah. this actually makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I like those charts the best because, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of cool to try to visualize, you know, Bitcoin's data in a way that you don't really need a model to see where it's going. And I think the spiral chart is one of those charts that, uh, that really shows this, you know. Is that's in your selection that you're going to take us through. Yeah, we can look at some slides to guide the conversation, I guess. Uh, I well, put that chart in there. Yeah, it's the first chart. So Yeah, so we used to do this monthly show with Willy Woo, which was really super popular, popular for obvious reasons. It was like our biggest show ever. I think something like three or four of our top 10 shows ever were Willy Woo shows. Um, and, they you were know, really good. They, they yeah. were great. And, and, you know, we are a numbers-based business. This is a business. It's a podcast, but it's a business. Mm -hmm. So it's a numbers-based business. Sponsorship is based on downloads and you know, we have to take all this equipment, these people around the world to make this show. So it's to, to walk away from a successful show like that is quite difficult. But at the end, you've got to, you've got to focus on your product as well. And uh, we couldn't do it in person because, you know, Willie, Willie's not based in the UK or he doesn't travel much. And also, in some ways, it kind of like, oh, are we just doing this for the numbers and, you know, how you source the information? Like, Willie was always really honest, like, you know, these are just models, yada, yada. But yeah, we decided to get a, get away from doing that. But like I say, Mr. Root, 
I do like your charts and I do like your work and it's uh, great to connect with you. Um, before we get into some of this, because I've got loads of questions I know Danny has, how much of your background or how much do you tell us about you without telling us who you are given away? Because everyone watching right now is, I don't, don't know what we're going to do this. Maybe we have a big carrot over your face, but how can we do that without doxing yeah. you? Um, well, I can tell a little bit about myself, I suppose. Um, I have a scientific background, um, always been an entrepreneur in life. Um, and um, I, uh, I did a lot of data analysis before, so I kind of rolled into the field naturally. Um, I, yeah, I started my Bitcoin journey in 2016. Um, I actually got some computer science skills as well. Uh, so pro like programming and, um, I know quite a bit about distributed systems. So I, I got into Bitcoin actually because of hearing about the Byzantine general problem, which was solved and then that caught my attention. And, um, I already luckily had the flexibility and to kind of work on the things I liked. <laughs> and so basically from day one that I found out about Bitcoin, I kind of started working on that full time. And um, I started building some tools um, to analyze Bitcoin's blockchain data. And, um, you know, I started out with my, my own node, of course, and um, looking at the raw data itself at first, building some indicators and, um, you know, I was building out a bit of a platform for strategies and that... Um, yeah, allow, allowed me to create like these kind of cool charts. And uh, I started sharing some of those on Twitter and, you know, that got, uh, you know, very well, popular, well received by the Bitcoin community, which is, uh, yes, yeah, nice. So I'm going to talk about uh, uh, one particular model, not yours, um, but it was from one of your compatriots, should we say. Uh, <laughs> the stock to flow was a very popular model. Yeah. I thought it was cool, believed it because lots of people I trusted believed it kind of made sense like yeah. it mapped logically to the bitcoin cycles i think Corey was one of the first people to come out and say hmm, not sure about this uh where, where were you with stock to flow did you originally think this is a, a useful chart is a useful model or? yeah i mean i like creative things as well so from a creative perspective i thought it was a really cool idea to look at uh, the data in that way and uh, um you know some of the critique on the stock to flow is definitely valid. And uh, so, yeah, you had to be cautious with it. You know, I, I had some people in my circles that were early on kind of skeptical about it. Um, but um, I do like to model from this creative, uh, you know, perspective. And uh, it's, um, yeah, obviously, you know, it's, uh, it's quite a bit below the model value. And so people stop believing, obviously. And it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pity in a way, you know, like uh, that it got so popular because uh, it's just a model, right? Like um, it, it, you know, a model is just um, a way to kind of, you know, to try to predict something. But this got so popular that, you know, people just started believing in it completely and, you know, um, stopped being rational about it. Right. And uh, so, um, yeah, you always have to be a bit skeptical about models that predict the future. You know, they can't be wrong. So, is there any possibility that because the model became so popular, everyone was following it? Uh, well, not everyone, but a lot of people following it. A lot of people perhaps taking positions, thinking, well, this is means Bitcoin's going to go over somewhere between 100 and 200K because the model said so. The models worked before. And then whales watched this and observed this and said, you know, I'm just going to counter trade this. Well, I. 
don't believe so that intentionally they are counter trading that like uh, i mean it there might be certainly some out there that let you know that it happens but in general um yeah i think uh, there, I'll actually will go into with some of my charts because I, I made a model myself as well. It's called the huddle model. Uh, we'll go into some of this, uh, of these things, these concepts. Um, it's also a bit about Bitcoin's scarcity. And um, it also shows perhaps like where the stock to flow model went kind of wrong in a way. So it's uh, so I think it's an interesting perspective, but we'll, maybe it's easier to explain, you know, with some of the charts, uh, if we put them up. All right, we'll, we'll go through the charts. But just one question before we do go into that, I do want to know, what's your personal Bitcoin thesis? Like, where's your what's your conviction behind it? Is it? Uh, is it purely as a tool to trade? Do you see it as a human rights tool? What's your personal kind of? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I believe that the financial system, the current financial system is, you know, fucked. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And so we're going to transition into Bitcoin and it's either this dystopian future where we have like, you know, a, a, a WeChat, but then a Western version, uh, you know, which we're going to use here, or it's going to be like freedom money, which is Bitcoin. So I do believe in uh, Bitcoin, in hyper-Bitcoinization. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say, you know, to, to look at the time frame on what this is going to play out. I mean, maybe it's five to 10 years. It could also still be 20 years. Uh, you know, we'll have to see. It depends on, you know, how far we get in each cycle. Awesome. All right, Danny. Should we pull the slides? Let's pull the slides up. <clears throat> cycle. Okay, so listen, if you're, uh, if you're listening to this on the audio, uh, we're obviously going to recommend you go and check the video out, the YouTube, because we're going to be using a lot of charts here. At the same time, I will do my best to try, try and explain what's going on. But we're going to start, okay, with the Bitcoin spiral based on halving. By the way, this is a chart you should definitely go and check out. I think this is the one that really stood out to me, Ruth. I was like, okay, this guy's cool. We've got to talk to him. Uh, do you want to explain what this chart does? Yeah, so this one is, um, well, actually, maybe I can say a bit about the history of this chart first. Uh, I, I was not the inventor of this chart, by the way. Um, so it actually started out with like a pendulum chart, like a pendulum was swinging and it was kind of drawing Bitcoin's price. And uh, then uh, some other account, uh, also on Twitter, I think at Clockwork Parts, they uh, created some of the first polar charts, um, you know, similar to this one. And, um, and I really loved that concept to explore Bitcoin cycles because I think cycle theory is very interesting. And, um, and I try to, you know, make them cooler and, you know, more attractive and uh, added some stuff to it. And uh, so in this particular chart, yeah, we're looking at uh, the spiral chart based on the halving. So the halving is initially the catalyst uh, for uh, for each cycle. And um, so this one, it, it basically each uh, round in a circle, uh, each rotation in the circle is a, uh, is, uh, represents one halving. And um, then the blue dots that you can see, those represent the days that we kind of made all-time highs or the blocks in this case that we made all-time highs. So, so one rotation is one halving, which is uh, 210K blocks, and which is about four years, a little less than four years uh, in general. Okay. And what is, this, what is this chart? How is it useful for you? What does it tell you? Yeah, I, I mean... The fact here that you can just see that it's spiraling out, right? So it, it, it shows that with each having like a Bitcoin surprise in this chart is like it's, it's expanding. And, uh, and so without any model, we can kind of see, you know, that, you know, the price has never crossed 
uh, itself, you know, so, so we can kind of see like, oh, what is a bottom in a way, you know, like through this chart. But how does that work? Because the prices have gone up to high, all time highs and come back down. Yeah. So what do you, it, is it, it hasn't hit itself because it's gone, it's based on time. Yeah. It's uh, it's in this time, in this uh, chart is based on block time, but, but if we switch to the next chart, it's well, actually. Hold on a second. So what we're mm -hmm. basically saying here is like Bitcoin is volatile, but on an annualized basis, oh, sorry, on a cycle basis, it's never, it's, it has, the price has gone lower uh, than previous all-time highs, but on a cycle basis, it's never dipped below itself. Yeah. So exactly. basically every four years, you're yeah. pretty safe. And that's because there's like seasonality involved in, uh, in, in Bitcoin. And, and that's why if we go to the next chart, which is also the spiral chart, we continue with this, but, but uh, I changed it now. Uh, so this one is based on time. And so instead of looking at the halvings, uh, here we look at time. And the reason why that's useful is because, you know, as humans, we think in human time, uh, we don't think in block time, right? So, okay. so for market analysis, uh, in general, human time is, uh, is better, in my opinion. And um, the thing that, that stands out here is that, um, you know, in, in this chart, so if we, if we take the four-year chart, so every rotation in the circle now represents four years, starting in 2009, and um, uh, we see now that all the blue dots, all the all the all-time highs fall in the first quarter circle. You know, in the first quadrant, apart from the first couple of years. Yeah, apart from really when Bitcoin, uh, you know, in the early days in 2009, indeed. Uh, the, but the, the last three cycles, you know, all of those all-time highs fall in that fir first quadrant. And why is that? Well, that is because of the you know, the cycle pattern that we have, which is kind of uh, initialized by the halving, but, uh, uh, but, but seasonality tends to play a role as well. So you see that mainly around Christmas time is when, when uh, you know, the, uh, every four years, at least around Christmas, there, there has been these, this, this blow off top or an, uh, and, and then uh, a fierce correction. Right, okay. And the interesting thing about this is that you can tell with the cycles, it is, the, the gaps between them are starting to constrict. So it's, take, it's taking a bit more effort for the price to rise. Is there a logarithmic version of this? This is on a on the logarithmic Oh, this scale, is on the logarithmic right? like, yeah. So you can okay. see... Oh, it, I can see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So it is starting so to get Each tighter. ring in this uh, cycle is a time stand, you know, like... A, we, we don't want to make this too popular because if we make this too popular... Yeah, who knows? Like eventually, the price might fall and cross below. Uh, you know, I, I think that will happen at some point in the future because, you know, with an increase in market cap, it becomes more difficult for the price to rise, and and so there is a likelihood that at some point in the future, uh, perhaps, you know, it will cross the previous uh, cycle, and also because cycles are shifting, right? Like so. Um, you know, yeah. are, at least it's likely that they will shift in the future in some shape or form. So then it's more likely that uh, that that uh, the price might cross a previous cycle at some point. So we've got about two and a half years of bullshit to go there. <laughs> yeah. 2025 is going to start getting interesting again. Yeah. Um, well, I hate this chart now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So in this one, we can... We can look at the the having so actually the the green dots in the in the fourth quadrant in the they are, you see like some dark green bigger dots those are the having so you can mm -hmm. see that the that each rotation they move a bit back right so that's because the having is, uh, is usually a little less than than four years and if we uh, go to the next slide also the 
now the bottoms are so the bear market bottoms are marked and you can see that they are usually in the south uh, of the chart so um, they also happen around the same period and sell sell <laughs> so you're saying you're telling me to, are you selling no <laughs> yeah okay this is really interesting yeah so but but this is the perspective of a four-year cycle and, and we'll get into some different perspective you know you can look at cycles in in uh, in different ways and but in, indeed here it shows that that the you know usually at, at the south which we are kind of approaching which would mean the end of the year is where we would potentially make a low based on on this chart Obviously, there are some differences this cycle, and uh, that is because the the hype top was actually in April. So we we kind of have been kind of correcting. We made some higher highs in in November, and that again I I kind of blame on this seasonality and this kind of um, you know I think people were expecting prices you know everyone me included we were expecting prices above 100k at least right and so it was kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy that around christmas we were going to again see like new autumn highs and and it, and it, it happened because of it but it was actually not because there was any hype in the market it was just because you know holder holders of bitcoin haulers they were just kind of believing that it would happen and and we we managed to make a few autumn highs in november again those uh, those last uh, blue dots that you can see and um, and yeah I think yeah after we have been correcting but one could argue that and I think it's actually more reasonable to argue that we, we that we have been kind of correcting since since April since we had the China mining ban and, and all that stuff and so now I added the the, the blows and and here I colored the so I colored the the cycles so each cycle just has its own color so you can differentiate a little bit better between them first peak first time high. yeah so so there's quite some some interesting things so in, if we compare in in this chart so uh the the first the, the peak of the 2013 cycle the first like 2013 was a double top right so the first top of the 2013 cycle actually coincides exactly with the peak of the first peak of the uh, yeah the april top that we had uh, this cycle oh really um, yeah so that's that is kind of incredible, you know, wow. on, on this time scale. And, um, and the first autumn high we started making after this, uh, like whole summer correction that we had, uh, you know, was also, you know, exactly at the same moment in time, you know, like, so, so that shows how cycles are kind of self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah. Do, and do you think part of that might be the kind of, you know, when you look at the, uh, there's like the um, that chart that shows the different kind of emotional states of markets. Do you think that's just, yeah, yeah. that's what's playing out? Because it doesn't matter whether it's <laughs> tulips. It doesn't matter whether it's Bitcoin or oil markets. It, it feels like every market seems to have that same kind of structure in price. Yeah, it's human psychology, yeah. right? And, and in a way, yeah, it's cool how Satoshi was able to kind of record this human psychology, you know, on the blockchain and... <laughs> You know, actually, this collective unconscious unconsciousness is like uh, you know recorded on the blockchain. So, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this and this one. Um, so again, we are looking at the spiral chart, uh, but here I'm actually using some on-chain data to to show. Uh, so I, I use the the short-term holder cost basis, which is the same as the short-term holder realized price. 
the realized price is the average purchase price of, of all Bitcoin, right? So the, so the last price that has been paid for each transaction on the blockchain. And if you count those up, you get uh, the realized price. And, and the short-term holder realized price or short-term holder cost basis, um, we actually look at the, the, that price, but then only for the last five months. Uh, and so we get like a more recent view. And um, so we can use it to color uh, the price uh, so we go from like a dark red, which means like heavy bear market to like a dark green, which is then heavy bull market. And uh, we can see that like the, the darkest greenest colors we obviously have again in that first quadrant um, with some some like sudden red corrections, you know, in the middle. Uh, those were like these, the summer dip that we had. And also in the 2013 cycle, cycle we had this, uh, this mid-cycle dip. And, um, but all the dark red is basically in the second quadrant, which we are in right now. But, but the, uh, the bear markets, uh, seem to start a little bit later each time or sorry, a little bit earlier each time based on this chart. Yeah. And, and the, and same with the bull markets, it's the start of the bull market. So yeah, it's not always a perfect view, right? There's ways to look at the cycle. So you can look at in from, from the having to having, or you can look at them from previous autumn high to previous autumn high, or you can, you can look at them from the bear market bottom, or, you know, in this case, we're looking at the four year cycle starting at the start of each year. Right. So, um, so there's different ways you can kind of align them. Um, but in this alignment, and I think this is kind of, it's a very good alignment. And to, to look at it this way, but indeed uh, cycles are like slowly shifting, and that's because the having always has been the catalyst, and the having is based on block time, right? So, and 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 so it's it's a little less than four years, and that's why you kind of see this this shift. Yeah, but it implies therefore by the the end of the year we could start getting back into bull territory. Yeah, the yeah. south is the end of the year, and uh, yeah, I mean we could potentially make like a bear market low there. Although if we look at on-chain data and, and I think on-chain strength, I mean, on-chain is not ideal perhaps to predict what is coming, but it's very good at looking like what is the current state of the market. And um, we have seen like true capitulation on this red dot, which is just marked now at the Southeast. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have seen real capitulation there. So it is likely that the bottom is in, but yeah, obviously nobody can predict the future. And, and I actually, I do expect some, some, some downside perhaps again later this year. And it might be again, this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, right? That usually a bottom happened in the South. And so perhaps it, it does again, or at least we will make some, some, some low, maybe like price might go down a bit, but, but the next two years look pretty good. You know, ha, like, have yeah. some dry powder just in case. Yeah. Um, sorry, Danny, just go back a second. Yeah. Um, so there has been quite a bit of criticism pointed at on-chain data and on-chain analysis. Well, what parts do you think are valid and what, what are the most useful parts of on-chain data that you use? Yeah, so as I said, I think, I mean, on-chain is not ideal to predict where Bitcoin's price is going exactly, not especially not on the short term. It's more like on the long term, it does a bit better, but it's very good at, at you know, looking at what is currently happening, like where are we kind of at? And so in that sense, it's very useful. This show is brought to you by the Texas Blockchain Council. Now on November the 17th and 18th, the Texas Blockchain Council are putting on the Texas Blockchain Summit in Bitcoin country, Austin, Texas. Now, you know how much I love out there. I'm going to be attending. The event is two days of thought leadership for Bitcoin. 
Day one is all that any Texas Bitcoin miner could ask for. Top Bitcoin CEOs and their teams will be hanging out in Austin. And day two has top policy leaders from the US, both federal and state legislators, senators, House of Representatives, CFTC commissioners. What more could you ask for? Yes, I'm not just promoting this. I'll be attending the event in Austin, hanging out with my Texas Bitcoin buddies and interviewing someone very important on stage. So make sure you book your ticket, come to the event, let's hang out. To find out more, head over to texasblockchainsummit.org and use the discount code PETERMC20 for a 20% discount at checkout and let them know that I sent you. This offer is valid until the end of October. Next up, it is BCB Group. BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment services provider that understands Bitcoin and reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are expanding globally. They have an amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients and all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had some trouble with this like me. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up is my new sponsor, Wasabi, who I will be now using to make sure my Bitcoin is private and I'm very excited about using their software. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as the wallet has introduced privacy by default. Now, rather than having to choose to coin join, this can all be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. You also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi 2.0, so you don't leak your IP address. And there are no more minimum denominations, so you can coin join any amount, and there's no more change. So any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking more seriously recently. And with Wasabi 2.0, this has made it so much easier. So definitely go and check it out. If you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Also, today we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only ever buying. Come on, we're hodlers. We're not sellers. I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I've been buying a lot of those recently. And I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are now also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M ini.com forward slash WBD. Yeah, so this is the last spiral chart that I wanted to show. Um, so instead of looking at Bitcoin's price, we can also actually also um, plot Bitcoin's market cap. And why is that useful? Yeah, because we can then huh. compare it to, for example, other assets like in this chart, we uh, included silver, gold and real estate. And um, so again, yeah, I love this chart because... I love this chart. Yeah, you can without any model, right? It's just data that is shown. Uh, we can kind of see where Bitcoin is going. And so, so this cycle, the past cycle, we were kind of trying to surpass 
silver's market cap, but you know, we kind of rejected off of it two times, you know. Or Did three we get times. above it at all? Um, maybe slightly at, at some point, uh, I think. Oh, yeah, because we, we got over one trillion. Didn't yeah, we? yeah, we got over a trillion. Yeah, yeah, I think silver is uh 1.2 or 1.3 trillion. Uh, but we, we, I think we just you know, we might have gotten over it for like a short time, but uh, but but barely. And uh, we kind of rejected off of it. And uh, I like this because it could be a rallying call for Bitcoin. It's like, come on, let's fucking take down silver. Exactly. And and, and gold and next, then, right? And then and, Peter uh, Schiff. Yeah. And then Peter Schiff is coming. Yeah. I was actually thinking of making one of these charts with, with Peter Schiff's face inside it. You know, I, like, well, we used to have him up there on the board. We've, we've, we fired him. He used to be our, um, we've, we replaced him with Jerome Powell. He, he yeah. did a good what, year or two as our mascot. Yeah, I always saw him up there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, th I think you should change the gold line to the Peter Schiff line. <laughs> yeah, I love you, Peter. Very cool. That's my favorite one. Yeah. Okay, so the hodl model. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think it's an interesting topic to get get in, to get into. Yeah. Uh, we can also talk a bit more about the differences between stock to flow. Um, to, to give kind of an introduction to what the hollow model is about, um, yeah, we first look at a chart where I plotted the, the circulating supply. So we basically go from all the way back 2009 to today, which, uh, you know, we have today 19 million coins uh, in circulation. And so you can see just uh, the issuance, the supply issuance of Bitcoin. And in that, um, you can see uh, the illiquid supply. So that is colored in blue. Uh, we can actually see the uh, yeah the amount of coins that are relatively in illiquid. Now, maybe I should define what a liquid supply is. Um, you know, it's useful, um, and, and that's again the strength kind of of on chain is that we can classify Bitcoin supply. You know, into we can put them in different buckets. So we can um, uh, with with supply we can look at, for example, the age of coins. So we can say, oh, this is. Uh, supply that belongs to short-term holders or to long-term holders. You know, that's one useful way of looking at it. Another classification is to look at it in terms of spending behavior. And that's actually what illiquid supply does. So, so you can divide supply into, yeah, into highly liquid, liquid and illiquid supply. And in this case, um, what does that mean? So if I stack Bitcoin, um, you know, if, imagine I DCA into some hardware wallet and, you know, um, if I spend uh, less than 25% of that Bitcoin, which I'm stacking, then I'm a relatively illiquid entity. So that's what uh, illiquid supply means. So you can still spend some of that, but it's just that the majority of uh, you will hold, you know, so you're, you're, you're a hodler. And if you spend more than 25%, you get into like the liquid or highly liquid uh, bucket. And um, so why is this useful? Because yeah, it's, it's kind of like a proxy for, um, for hodling behavior, right? There's different ways to look at hodling behavior. Also, long-term holder supply is one, another one, you know, which we look more at the age of coins. But here we look at spending behavior. And so the interesting thing and the trend that you can see is that obviously um, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin has its own uh, supply issuance schedule. And uh, in like, Pre having one, so when the block reward was uh, 50 uh, Bitcoin per block, um, we we had about seven and a half thousand Bitcoin per day that were added, you know, and and illiquid supply grew with about uh, you know let's round these numbers six thousand uh, Bitcoin per day more or less. Now 
after the halving, obviously, uh, you know, the, the block reward halved into 25 Bitcoin in, uh, per block or per 10 minutes. And that resulted in more or less an average about 4,000 Bitcoin per day. Now, the illiquid supply grew then with uh, 2,500 a day, more or less. So, so the supply issuance was actually always outpacing, uh, you know, the illiquid supply growth. And that's because obviously, you know, like most of the supply of Bitcoin has been, you know, added in, in the last, uh, you know, 13 years. And so we're, we're actually now already at, at uh, you know, what is it, 90% uh, or so of all supply. Uh, you, know, you know, 19 million of the 21 have been uh, issued. So, uh, you know, the next 2 million will be issued over the next 100 years, you know, like so. Um, so in the, in the second halving, then we, we you know, so the supply issuance was still outpacing, um, you know, illiquid supply growth. And so we then had 2000 Bitcoin a day on average in, in, you know, new supply entering Bitcoin, but we only had about a thousand Bitcoin per day, you know, uh, with, with illiquid supply growing. And uh, the special thing about this halving is that we've started to uh, outpace. Yeah. So this, this is, is the real flipping. This is the real flipping. Yeah. This is a trend reversal. And so we, we now have been adding, you know, 900 Bitcoin a day, more or less. But the liquid supply has been growing by uh, double that. Right. So, so that's a, a very interesting trend reversal. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of an underrated trend reversal. It's not yeah. been talked about much. Well, listen, if you're, if you're listening to this, you definitely need to go onto the YouTube and check this out and see this, this chart. Because what you're seeing is you, you're starting to see the gap between the two get closer. And that's going to create the, the market. If that continues that uh, over the next halving, that's going to create the market condition. Ah, oh, because you know what's going to happen is you can see the chart. The liquid supply should continue to grow, but the circulating supply is going to start to level out. Exactly. So that's, yeah. yeah, interesting. So the gap will get, uh, you know, it, it will, you know, illiquid supply will keep outpacing circulating supply because eventually this was doomed to happen, right? Because of course, yeah. circulating supply is like having every having. So, uh, so it is, uh, it was obvious that, you know, also with Bitcoin being a store of value, you know, which, you know, means that most of the Bitcoin will be hodled, will be, you know, held in cold storage. So it's kind of obvious that liquid supply is keep, will keep on growing with the store of value narrative. And um, so maybe then to get to the next chart. So what does the HODL model do? So in the HODL model actually tries to model uh, this, the growth of a liquid supply. And so it's just a, it's a lock growth curve and uh, it actually has a, a high R square value of 98. But um, so we get, uh, so you can see with the HODL model that the, the and I call it the inflection point yeah. is that, that, so if we, if we keep on this trend, um, you know, then we make, and, and in the bottom, uh, in, in the bottom chart of these two charts, which are shown here, you can actually see illiquid supply as a percentage of the total supply. So you can see that, you know, we started out as more or less 100% illiquid because, you know, at when supply got added, nothing got spent in the beginning. So it started out as 100%. Then it start, started dropping, but we made a low of uh, illiquid supply around 70%. And since that, we've been rising. So illiquid supply has been rising. And so that looks very bullish for the future yeah. of Bitcoin because that is actually what, what you know, Bitcoin scarcity, what the digital scarcity is about. What's the dotted line on this chart? So the dotted line is the hollow model. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
So also in the bottom chart, that is actually the HODL model mapped onto uh, you know, another perspective, which is the illiquid supply as a percentage of the supply. And you can see that there, the HODL model makes this low in the inflection point because that is where the trend reversal is starting to happen. So, so Bitcoin actually was getting, you know, so another way to look at it is, and, and maybe we can go then to the next chart, is the, the available supply for trade. You know, so if we look at, so, so this is, uh, instead of the illiquid supply, we're looking now at the, at the liquid supply. So the, the actual supply that's available for trade. On, does that mean for trade generally, or that's on exchange being traded? Yeah, that's just, yeah, I mean, we look at the blockchain, right? So all okay. Bitcoin that is kind of seen as liquid, so which is like moving a lot, we can look at that. So that's kind of, you can see it, you can look at that and say, this is liquid Bitcoin. So this Bitcoin is kind of available for trading and for buying and for selling. And and uh, and so if we if we Does look- Does that assume that like any, any Bitcoin transaction is like for a trade transaction, like going to an exchange? Yeah, so I mean- on Yeah, that's a really good, uh, let me just add to that, see if Danny's- uh, think about it in the same way. Do you consider Bitcoin that is liquid because it's being spent as also available for trade? And therefore, is every purchase really a trade? Like if I, if someone goes onto my website and buys a rail bed for Jersey with Bitcoin, do you consider that a trade? Or yeah. would that be part of the liquid supply? No, yeah, that would then become part of the liquid supply, depending on the spending behavior of that person. Now, now imagine I'm stacking sats like all the time. I'm DCAing. But I love, you know, uh, real Bedford FC, you know, and I want, I want that shirt, you know. So I decide, I go. Do you? I, yeah, I do. Have you got it? Yeah, not yet. You, but need, you need to increase that liquid supply. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, so so I can I can buy. So if I if I buy a T-shirt and uh, online and I spend a little bit of of that Bitcoin, you know, but if it's less than twenty five percent of my total stack, then I'm still considered. Uh, illiquid, you know, like so, so, so that doesn't change. But it looks in huh. general at the spending behavior. Now, if I'm an entity that spends a lot, you know, I'm, I'm, or I'm constantly trading, uh, you know, that is seen as a liquid entity. So, oh, I see, I see. So, if there's a big stack there, you see one uh, a wallet address with a bunch of Bitcoin in it, and I just buy one jersey, that whole stack you could consider illiquid. Yep. But if I'm a trader with that big stack and I'm trading lots, you know at any point I might trade that. Exactly. Ah, okay, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. But that is a point though. Like I'd never thought of it like that. Every time you purchase some of Bitcoin, you're making a trade. Mm -hmm. it, there's you're making a trade between holding that Bitcoin and spending it. So say, you know, if you spend it on a jersey which is priced in pounds because we do price them in pounds, that's no different to going on an exchange and selling Bitcoin. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Well, on a, uh, Bitcoin on an exchange often is not seen on chain, right? Yeah. Because well, they yeah, are, okay, yeah. you know, uh, that's how you classify, which is okay. I mm -hmm. see. But we uh, do know we do we can differentiate between Bitcoin on exchanges. You know, we know most of the exchange addresses, and we can kind of see. So this HODL model, this part chart, the available supply as a percentage of total supply, is kind of telling you the same thing, though, right? The, yeah, the, it's it's kind of the so the opposite. Instead of looking at the illiquid supply, we're now actually looking at the liquid supply and the high, yeah. So there's liquid and highly liquid, but here I combine them. I, I call them available supply. So practically, this is it's it's not a perfect representation of what is happening, right? It's like yeah. a it, we try to estimate, you know, like a, but it still it shows uh, interesting data, right? But there's so, common sense logic to it as well. Yeah, yeah, and so so here you can see in the 2013 cycle, which it, it kind of starts, uh, the, uh, we can see that the available supply for trade was 
was around 20%, you know, it started more or less around 20% of the total supply. So, so in this, in this chart, I account for growth of market cap, right? So that's mm -hmm. why we look at it in percentages. But if we look at the second halving, so the, so the, the catalyst basically for the, for the 2017 cycle, um, we start out around 25% of uh, the supply being uh, available for trade, right? And, and, and so obviously it goes down when we go into the bull market because some of that supply gets captured. And then you can see that in the bear market, again, it rises, you know, in, in, in the 2008, 18, 19 bear market, it rises heavily actually. And so we, in the third halving, we start at 28% of the supply being kind of available for trade. And then we go into the, the last bull market that we had and we start going down. That's a, this is a significant drop. Yeah, it's really a significant drop. Yeah. And so, but only the hype, the hype in the market was only on the first part of the drop, but the second part of the drop, and that's kind of part of this trend reversal, as I was saying, like since the third having something changed, what did change? Well, the having cost that the supply issuance, uh, you know, got lower. And so, uh, so the, the liquid supply growth has been faster and that's why the available supply has, has slowly been like going down, you know, that's the transversal. Huh. So that's what the hollow model tries to map. And so this is kind of very, like kind of very the most, bullish. very bullish for the next cycle, very promising because what if we start the next having again around the, you know, let's say at the current, we're, we're, we're currently well, go at, back, go at, back a chart, Danny, it might be two charts. Yeah, go back one more. Okay, so even if it was like, so the average, uh, uh, hold on, that's the average circulating supply will be 450-ish. The average increase per, in day. per day. Yeah, after after the Ford halving. But, yeah. but if the average liquid supply goes just, up. Yeah, imagine it's just... Stays the same. Stabilized. Let's just say like it's kind of stabilized and it just stays around the same level currently. Like even then it will just continue to, you know, Bitcoin will get price. more scarce. Yeah. You know? But if it goes up as well, you've got compounding effects. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Danny, we're going to need more Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. So yeah. here, this is people like selling the bottom in 2018, right? Ah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. that, was, that was you, right, Danny? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I actually, yeah, I did all right in that time. Uh, but then we've not had anyone selling the bottom this cycle. Yeah. Why well, you, or maybe well, we had, we, we had, have. it's just that, you know, the trend reversal, which is what I tried to explain in the, in the first chart. So there is this trend reversal because supply issuance halves every cycle, every halving. So, uh, you know, at some pace, at some time, uh, you know, illiquid supply is going to outpace uh, you know, supply issuance. And that, what, and that is, in my opinion, what happened in the third halving. And, and that's therefore available supply has been going down just because of this trend reversal. Mm. Mm. This is very, you, again, if you're listening, you've got to go and check these charts out. Can we link them in the show notes? Can we make this, these charts available? Yeah. 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 Do you care if this like, is this, can the present, is the presentation online? Yeah, or I can I can make a thread with all these charts maybe on uh, on Twitter and then we can link to that in the yeah, show. Yeah, do notes. that. Do yeah. that. I think we only right. see this. Yeah. Okay. 
And um, this is Dr. Flo. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's, so here um, I use the HODL model to actually make a HODL price model. And now we get a, a kind of bit into the stock to flow territory, yeah. which, yeah. Uh, you know, I haven't been, haven't, I have not heavily promoted this model because of that reason, because I don't want to be an ex stock to flow model uh, in any sense or way, you know, like, but um, there, there are some caveats with, with this model as well, and I'll, I will get into them. Um, but, um, so, so the interesting thing, and, um, maybe also to differentiate between stock to flow. So stock to flow is a model based on scarcity, but it's a model based on Bitcoin's total supply. But the interesting thing about the HODL model is that we actually look at the daily available yeah, supply available, yeah. and, and we, what did we see? We saw that the available supply for trade during the last bull market was the highest it was ever been. And therefore it's kind of, you know, an explanation for also why maybe last bull market might've been more disappointing than we expected. And also a reason why stock to flow has underperformed so much because stock to flow is based on scarcity, but that does not hold into account the actual available supply for trade. And, and so, uh, so in a way the hollow model tries to, um, you know, look at uh, the available supply for trade, and which is a much more accurate number to use. Which and is look how it was. What is one SD? Uh, one standard deviation. I mean, it literally bounces off that. Yeah, twice. So, so I published the first version of this chart six months ago, and I have not even posted this update at all ever on my Twitter because I didn't want to like create a next stock to flow model. You will. And then you have but... 1.2 million Twitter followers. <laughs> exactly. And then the model... Like 1.8 now. No. Is it 1.8? There are some issues with this model as well. So, so therefore I, I, I don't okay. want to really pump it, you know, like... Um, For the non-mathematically analytically minded, including myself, explain what a standard deviation is. Yeah. So a standard deviation is we look at the price history and we look at like how far does it uh, go away from the mean, so from the average price, so from the model line, in this case, the, the dark blue line, which is the model line. And then we can look at that, like how, how far, what is the distance between the model and the actual, the price value? And so uh, one standard deviation is uh, yeah, a common term in, uh, in data analytics where we can see like how far uh, is the distance. And because it updates, uh, you know, if there's new data available, the average changes. And so, um, um, so that's what the, what the standard deviation is. So we should approach 100K around the fourth halving. According to this model, but I do want to, uh, yeah, yeah, I do want to say it's not my. <laughs> Come on, say you can have your disclaimer. Root says it's. I will definitely have a disclaimer. Okay. Yeah, no. So, so the thing, and uh, yeah, that's the next interesting thing to to get into is like uh, one of the more famous charts, which is a relatively conservative chart, is just the log growth curve. You yeah, know, you have seen that many yeah, times, yeah. I suppose. And um, so the difference between this chart and the log growth curve chart is that this chart actually starts similar. So, so before the inflection point, it actually starts just like a log growth curve chart, but then at the inflection point, uh, it kind of, uh, so it, it starts to slowly go up. So actually the, the, the rate of growth is the lowest at the inflection point for the model. And that's, uh, because this is an inverse S curve. So the adoption of Bitcoin goes in an inverse S curve. So, um, we, we tend to go up. There are several reasons why we, why this, uh, inverse S-curve is a logical adoption pattern. One is because the dollar will eventually hyperinflate, you know, so so it's not so much because the Bitcoin is going to gain more value. Do you it, think that's inevitable? 
eventually uh, it's the destination of every fiat currency, right? Like, yep. you know, um, so, um, but another reason to make this uh, inverse S-curve to go up is scarcity, like digital scarcity. But uh, the problem, and that's also the problem with this chart and perhaps why it's too bullish, and it's also one of the reasons why I have not really been promoting it much, is because um, a, like a growing market cap is a reason why we would get like a, a lock growth curve. So there's actually forces that, that are at play. So if we, so on one, a growing market cap means basically that we need like more money to move Bitcoin, you know, like each, uh, if, if the Bitcoin price increases, it, it, you know, you need more money to move the price uh, each time. So, so that's a force like a downwards force, right? So, so and that's what we have kind of experienced since 2010, you know, volatility has been, you know, uh, decreasing kind of, but also we have diminishing returns, right? And that's because of this force, like a growing market cap. So we have this downward pressure on Bitcoin because the market cap is growing, it's harder to move the price. So there's like, that's why like we have less gains in each cycle. From the people behind sportsbet.io, we have BitCasino. So they are now running a very cool competition where you can join me at the North London Derby, Arsenal v Tottenham, hopefully to see Arsenal absolutely spank Tottenham. Now they have created a Bitcoin box at the Emirates Stadium and they're going to be giving away two tickets to the match. It's on October the 1st and to find out how to enter, just check out their pinned tweet at twitter.com forward slash bitcasinoio. That is twitter.com forward slash B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O-I-O. Also, please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up today, we have Ledin. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. With the recent events in the lender market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only Ledin are a sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs now. I am using their services. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D n.io next up it's the pacific bitcoin conference hosted by swan bitcoin on november the 10th and 11th this year in sunny los angeles now i've known Corey, yan and brady for years and they've been pulling out all the stops to make the pacific bitcoin conference a celebration of the bitcoin community i'm going to be emceeing the conference alongside my friends natalie brunel and stefan Avera. And there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers including lynn alden alex glastine and preston pish now, Pacific Bitcoin is going to be the right mix of education and good fun with unique experiences. They've got a surfing simulator and loaded with other events and parties before and after the event. They're bringing the brightest minds in Bitcoin to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation estate adoption, mining and lightning. And you're not going to want to miss this inaugural Pacific Bitcoin conference. I know it's going to be a special event. Now, Swan are offering a massive 20% discount to listeners of the show. Just go to pacificbitcoin.com and use the code PETER at checkout. That is P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N.com and use the code PETER. Also today, we have Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. 
and Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you as a Bitcoiner to take control of your Bitcoin and the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of the new Nano S+. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions, and the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Now, if you want to find out more, if you want to check this out, if you want to purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. But could this get more volatile again as the supply, the daily uh, liquid supply decreases? Yeah, there's an increase in demand. So that's that's the theory of the, uh, that's basically the, the hypothesis of the HODL model is that because scarcity will increase again, Bitcoin will uh, again become more volatile in the future. Huh. And, and, and maybe a good analogy here is like, um, so so imagine you are a creature and you only live one year and, yeah, and you you start on the first of January of that you year. You go fucking mental. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, let's... you go party and get pissed, <laughs> and then you then you're wrecked. You need to calm down. Yeah, and then as you approach in your life, you're like, fuck it, I'm going to go for it again. Yeah, that's a good analogy as well. Is that what you? It's that... not the one I was oh, going okay. for, but that's what Daddy was thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no, if if you start on the first of January and 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 then um, you you start measuring the length of each day. You know, then, uh, then, you know, by the time you get to the summer, you kind of made this theory, right? Like, you know, days are lengthening, right? Like, uh, so we have diminishing returns, days are lengthening, you know, because it's an observable pattern. But, you know, and that's looking at Bitcoin's price history, practically from the third halving and back, if you look back, you, you could look at it as this year, like, or this half a year, the six months, the past six months, we have, we have lengthening days, but then you suddenly, you get to the summer and you get to the longest day and we get this reversal, right? Like scarcity is Bitcoin available supplies is decreasing. Suddenly this trend reversal that we just talked about in the hollow model. And so suddenly days are shortening, you know, and then, so the, the problem with the lock growth curve, like the, this, you know, model, which is, Obviously, it's a conservative model, so in that way, it's a, it's a better model because if you if you are wrong to the upside, it's it's not as bad as being wrong to the downside, right? Oh well, I'm only slightly richer. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah so, I prefer. I mean, your analogy is obviously better than mine. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shut up, dickhead. <laughs> yeah. So um, so that's the idea with the with the hollow price model. Now, so so we talked about these pressures. So in in so the 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 thing that's not accounted for in the lock growth curve is actually digital scarcity increasing, mm -hmm. right? So if we get less available supply and more upside because of it, that's not kind of accounted for in, in, a, in a normal lock growth curve. Um, now, the problem with this model is that we actually look at the digital, we account for the digital scarcity going up, but we don't account so much for the increase in available supply, you know, like so, uh, the increase in market gap, I mean. So, so it's... Uh, uh, so, so therefore, perhaps it's too bullish, you know. Like, and and uh, yeah, that's why I'm kind of careful with yeah. promoting. I understand that as well. You don't want to be like this is very good data, but you don't want to live and die by it. No, so here's a model. If it works, 
exactly. yeah, let's test it. You know, I, I, I put this out as a hypothesis rather than like a predictive model. And the, the thing is, yeah, I don't want to generate a next stock to flow. And, the, you know, Twitter is always you black want. and white, as mm. you know. You know, like if, if I put this model out and I would put it out a couple of times, people would say, yeah, root set, the price is going to 100K by the next halving, right? Uh, that's the title that's of the, heard, yes, yeah. that's the title of the next show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so the, the problem there is that this is just a hypothesis. This is one model. You know, we never should live by a one model only. Like, well, my tip for you on, on that would be is if the if you put out the model and it doesn't work or it fails, say the model's failed, don't try and keep yeah. breathing life into that model. And yeah. For like, now, it has kept up with the standard deviation and we've kind of bounced off it. So that's kind of bullish. But uh, but I do think there's uh, really this potential that it's perhaps too bullish uh, in the sense that we don't account enough for like this, uh, the growing market gap. So perhaps the best model out there... I mean, hold on, because you're saying by 2028, worst case scenario, that looks about 250K. Best case, we're over a million, maybe 1.1 million. Whew. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, if, if, if available supply keeps shrinking... You know, perhaps you know. I'm 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 not saying it will happen, but uh, we do you we, know what these charts we do also, see a trend reversal. These charts also miss purchasing power of those dollars. Yeah, well, that's actually so. The purchasing power of of the dollar is one reason also why we could uh, we would yeah. go up faster, right? Yeah. So that is actually one of the forces as well, which kind of helps this model. Uh, you know. Uh, give reasonable predictions but so, so there is two forces to go up one is the inflation in in uh, in the uh, it's just inflation in the dollar so the dollar value goes down and therefore the inverse you know s curve it will go up steeper uh, the other one is digital scarcity but the downwards pressure is the increase in market cap D danny oh. what's my new bet with hodl do you have one yeah we did one on that last show it was something like he thought bitcoin would go to like a million within a decade was that it? I can't remember. Because I'm fucked if that's right. Yeah, you are fucked. It's your Presumably fault. though, unlike the purchasing power of the dollar, this chart will will only take into account like previous inflation. It's not going to be taking into account any kind of hyperinflation, is it? Well, um, I mean, so so it's an asymmetric inverse S-curve, which is quite difficult to explain. But um, so it, it, the first 10 years, we curved kind of to the flattest point, you know, which is the inflection point, which is the third halving. Then at that point, the growth rate of the model is the lowest, but the curve upwards is actually taking four times as long, right? So, so, uh, and that is because of the, yeah, the trend. I mean, we, we try to get the best fit possible and it's yeah. actually based on the huddle model. Yeah. So the, uh, when does the huddle, when does a liquid supply, when is a liquid supply approaching this hundred percent of the total supply, you know, and that's, that's like in, in, uh, in 2088 or something, uh, predicting like the huddle model predicts that, you know, that is then approaching. Well, the, you know. the 2088 will be dead. Yeah, probably. It's fucking bullshit. I might not be. Dude, you will be. Uh, hold on. 88. You're not going to, you'll be like 95 or something. Hold on. When were you born? rich as fuck. Yeah, but. But no one will care. <laughs> You'll be that rich old dude that no one visits. This looks like that one where it compares shit coins to Bitcoin. What is this? One half and two half and three half. No, this is um, well. This is just um, the Bitcoin halvings uh, plotted okay. out in a chart. Yeah. And uh, now we get it actually into some charts which talk a bit more about like the recent situation 
um, we can look at some like from a cycle perspective, but I know and use some on chain. Um, so here we look at the halvings and the halvings are scaled. The, the previous halvings here are scaled to the, the current halving, right? So okay, so, so th this Im this implies volatility is decreasing then. Yeah, so so this is the volatility decreasing, but yeah, the third halving was kind of this uh, inflection point, right? So uh, yeah. so perhaps like available supply was the highest. That well, that's the whole model theory, right? So the available supply was the highest for actually the past bull market and next bull market it should be lower. So perhaps we can see more gains. Um, but uh, in, yeah, here we can see time-wise from, if you compare the cycles from the halving, you know, these red dots, uh, which represent the lows that we made and, and uh, the bottoms that we made, we're kind of time-wise in this, in this chart, we're time-wise, we're kind of aligned, right? So it's this different perspective. I mean, we can start from, as I said, you can look from the halving, we can look from the tops and it's often useful to look at different perspectives because there's no one right way to look at Bitcoin cycles, right? Yeah. Like uh, it's just like we should look at the state and that therefore on chain is so interesting because actually we can look at the state, what we're in and then like, you know, maybe one representation or one perspective on the cycle is because of that more valid than another one. And uh, and so I think it's reasonable to look like we didn't have the gains here that we all hope for, like prices above 100K. But in terms of the rest, it kind of looks like, yeah, diminishing returns. But we made kind of the bottom at, uh, at the same, you know, more or less at the same stage. And, and so that, that kind of gives a bit more confidence that the bottom potentially might be in. Interesting. Interesting. Very cool. This is a very bullish session. So in the in the next uh, in this in this chart we again look at the halvings. So the same actually the same it's kind of the same to the previous chart. Uh, we look at the halvings, but yeah, they're not now they're not scaled. They're just shown on the on the log chart, you know. So we can look at them. And and here I included realized price, so the average purchase price of of all Bitcoin. And so we can see again also that at these bottoms that we made. Uh, we all fell below realized price, right? So, so at at more or less the exact moment in time in the cycle, if we count from the having, and so that again gives kind of this confidence. You know, we've been above it for a bit now. Again, that we, you know, we might have in the low end, but but we can also see that in 2013 it can stretch out quite a bit. I mean, so I, I therefore I wouldn't be surprised if price goes relatively sideways for yeah. the next six months, you know, like perhaps we, if we like one, one warning signal would definitely be falling again below realized price. If we fall again below realized price, that could like mean that we perhaps, you know, might get another low, let's say. Yeah. But that, that we had that in 2013. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, we, there, we didn't, uh, we kind of rejected off realized price, right? So we tried to get above it, but we rejected right, okay. off it two times. And and only the third time we kind of managed to get above it. But when but, you say it rejected it, that that implies there's like a trading, like there's some trading against that. I, I, and but, really, but, there's more just yeah. So so the reason why you would reject off realized price is because realized price is the average purchase price of all Bitcoin. Yeah. So when we are below realized price, most people are at a loss. And so when we get to that level of realized price. Uh, they sell they, off. They yeah. sell to get their money back. Yeah, practically. That's yeah, why that makes you know, sense. But but we've been above it now, and um, and so that's uh, but a warning signal. Yeah, would be if we get below realized price, which I I, I definitely think it's possible. I think like this, uh, we're we're in this extreme value zone. But we haven't dipped 
that far. Like the previous few cycles, we dipped below quite significantly below realized price. Whereas we haven't. Yeah, we also didn't have the upside this time, right? Like so. Yeah. So like, do we need to get the downside? Uh, I don't know. Perhaps we do. But again, an increase in market cap would also perhaps mean that less volatility, right? Like, yeah. So um, so we don't necessarily have to, but. Uh, so if if we go, but I I do think this is a, a, a yeah really a value zone that we're in, which might still take another six months or so. Accumulation zone. An accumulation zone, yeah. yeah. And perhaps yeah, one warning signal is going again below realized price. We might make another low, but if we don't, yeah, just buy the shit out of it. If by the end of the year we kind of manage to stay above realized price, then it becomes like quite obvious that the low was in, right? Like right. on a, on based on historic data, obviously. Um, so in this chart, and yeah, this is uh, one of my favorites at the moment as well, is, um, is uh, so here we look at the cycles aligned by the all-time highs that we made. Um, and I took the April all-time high for the, for the last cycle because that's when the hype um, was really in the market. And I'll, I'll show in, in, in another uh, chart uh, why that is again. But, but, uh, but so here we align the cycles from the all-time high again. And we scale them actually by realized price. And why is that useful? Well, realized price is, is the, the actual money that flows into Bitcoin, right? So it's actually, uh, it's quite a useful tool to scale by the money that flows into Bitcoin for each cycle. It gives this a better representation than just the intraday volatility that we have in general in Bitcoin. And so you can look at the pattern of the realized price, like it, it, it kind of lines. You can see that we were we went steeper into it in 2013 and, and, and then in 2017. And again, we went steeper in 2017 than the current cycle. And that that is because of, again, this diminishing returns, right? This, uh, this volatility decreasing. And uh, but then, yeah, so we align, we scaled by realized price, but since then, like since this the the drop when the top is in, realized price goes relatively sideways, you know, for each cycle, and um, so we can also really distinguish here between the distribution top and the blow off tops, yeah, uh, very well, and uh, yeah, so we've fallen below realized price, and and here we can see that that uh, in 2017 uh, or in the 2018-19 uh, bear market. Uh, and the 2014 bear market as well, we went uh, to a price of around 13,000, but mainly we stayed around that price of, of 17,000, right? So um, uh, in, 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 and in 2022, we actually touched 17,000, you know, like, uh, so we had this spike down to the 17,000 line. Yeah. So that kind of, yeah, it would indicate that it's, it, it's possible that, that this was it again, but I, we cannot rule out a drop to, to like the 13,000 mark, you know, like, uh, in, in the next six months or so it is possible. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, the on-chain, just the short-term holder supply. So here we look at, uh, how much, uh, supply is, uh, belongs to short-term holders. So it's again, this classification of supply. And we can see these spikes with, within these bull markets. You know, you can see the peak also of, um, of, of this short-term, like short-term holder supply is kind of peaking at when we make a top in, in each cycle. And um, so this shows again, like 
how the, like I use this as a proxy for hype. Like it's, it's really kind of one of the better ways to measure how much hype is there in the market. Yeah. And we can see for the current cycle that in, 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 in the April top, we had like a lot of hype, you know, there was this huge spike in short-term holder supply. Whereas for the actual autumn high that we had in November, it was, it was kind of based on, on long-term holder behavior. You know, it was short-term holders were not really involved. Huh. And, uh, and so that's why we've kind of been correcting since April. April, you know, like so interesting, which would again imply that the bottom that it's more likely that the bottom is in because we have been correcting actually for quite a long time. We had this yeah, coincidentally this 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 higher high or this new autumn high which barely surpassed the autumn high. But if you look, each each one of those uh, highs is followed by like a it's got like a little child mounting next to it so yeah. we could do the same again yeah we might do the same again we might go down and not, that's why i think like sideways behavior is uh, sideways price behavior is quite obvious but but you can also see that even though we went down like we the low was already in yeah. right yeah so so um, uh, okay yeah i see i see it's a different thing yeah so so who knows over the next six months we might see you know, another rally and then a dump again, you know, like, but, but test pump. Yeah. Test pump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is, um, these are some, uh, bottom indicators I used. Um, uh, uh, this is actually based on the short-term holder cost basis. Again, the short-term holder real, which is the same as the short-term holder realized price. Uh, so the average purchase price of short-term holders, that's the green line. And then we have some bands that we can draw from that, which I use this floor band to kind of see like how low can the Bitcoin price uh, drop, you know, like uh, obviously these bands kind of fluctuate with the price. You know, they, uh, they're kind of like moving averages, you know, in a way. But, uh, but you can see that we bounced off this floor and, and it's, it's only like during bear markets or you know, the Corona crash that we had, that we, that we really touched this floor band. And we also did that this time. And so it's, uh, yeah, this floor has held up very well over the last, yeah, over actually bit, whole Bitcoin's history. Only in 2013, in that spike down that we had in the bear market, we went like two days below it or something. But for the rest, we, we have been, uh, we have the kind of only touched this floor yeah, and this is uh, this is the last chart actually. This is um, yeah. Here I show realized losses. Um, so again, to to show that the bottom that we had in June 18, the 17k that we touched, that in terms of realized losses, it was truly like this capitulation event, right? Right. Okay. Which was panic sellers. Yeah. Well, and four sellers because of liquidations. Oh, of course. Yeah. But yeah, and so. Also in the 2018 bear market, uh, we actually had less, uh, you know, realized losses than uh, in, in, in last event. And these events are also, they don't happen often, you know, like, which is kind of, again, showing that it's quite likely that the bottom might be in because, you know, or we would have to see another such event, but, you know, there can always be a catalyst for such an event. I don't know, you know, macro circumstances don't look that great. So, you know, things can still escalate, but, but it is quite unlikely for these things to happen. And so, um, yeah, we've, we've seen it. And, uh, so, so it's a good chance that the bottom is in. Huh? Mm. Wow. So things are bullish bottoms in, we're going hundred K thanks for <laughs> going buy more Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Well, I try to be uh, conservative, but, uh, how do you personally use these charts? Do yeah. you, do you actually use it 
to give yourself ideas about when you should buy and accumulate or do you just produce it out of interest? Yeah, no. Well, um, I really like to analyze the blockchain also just because I like uh, the fact that, you know, there's human psychology that's involved in it and it's really cool to analyze these things. But I do trade, but on the longer term. So, uh, I, I mean... As I said already, on-chain is not good. I'm not a day trader, you know, but I like to trade the cycle. But I, yeah, I have some, I have a stack for hodling basically. And I have a stack where I, I take a little more risk uh, and, and do trade on a cycle basis. What do you think, Danny? 100K is coming. Who <laughs> <Ruth> said so? Who <laughs> said so? Well, the title of the show will be, we're definitely going to 100K before the end of the year because Root said so. And if we don't, cancel that. <laughs> the huddle model is the next doctor flow model right yeah, like that. <laughs> but it, yeah but you know what at least it comes with some kind of good analysis it's almost like you've built upon stock to flow well yeah it's looking at the trends obviously of the bitcoin scarcity trends right uh, in that sense it's a little you know but yeah I, I don't know. As I said, I'm very skeptical about this model as well. And uh, I, I wouldn't take it too serious, um, you know, because of the the increase in market cap. It's not maybe, you know, uh, incorporated enough in that model. So it's perhaps too bullish because of it. But um, but yeah, we'll see in the future. I, I think it's personally important that we don't have this uh, consistently performing cycle that like it's easy to predict i think the market needs to change i think that's what did happen in the last cycle but i think that's useful um uh, i don't like the herd mentality of following price because i think that actually wrecks people mm-hmm. i think a lot of people probably got over leveraged in the last cycle and wrecked themselves i think almost certainly they did i think people hopefully with stuff like this become a little bit more conservative um and hopefully just stack a little bit more conservative for the longer term the hodl model says implicitly hodl yeah 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 you're rewarded if you do i guess do you not look you don't look at any shit coins no not much good I'm, good yeah. good man how much pen, um attention do you pay to like just macro stuff that's happening yeah i i do follow it but I, you know i'm not nearly as good as <laughs> lynn alden or some of the others that are great at it that i you know i i follow and look up to so it's a uh, you know, uh, macro became a lot more important, especially this cycle. But, you know, I never had a lot of knowledge about macro before this cycle even. So I've been catching up on it. And uh, yeah, I don't consider myself uh, good to give advice on that at all. Well, we have Steve McClurg on and he he's made some very good predictions about what will happen with the price based on his understanding of what he thinks the Fed will do. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be kind of a direct direct link with that. And I, again, it's another thing I don't like. I don't like the Bitcoin price being linked to Fed decisions. I understand why it is, mm-hmm. but I think we should be decoupling from that. Yeah, we will decouple at some point. It's just that we're now in that phase where we are correlated with the stock market. I mean, in previous cycles, we were not correlated with the stock market or not as much. And, you know, Bitcoin was not seen as like a a proper asset yet to allocate to. Now we are at that phase where just a a general investor will also allocate some some portion of their portfolio to Bitcoin. That's why we're now correlated to the stock market. The next step is kind of like decorrelate again and to see Bitcoin what it's truly meant for, right? And so so I think this is just a phase that we're in, but uh, yeah, eventually we will decouple. And what else are you looking at now? Are you, is there any other models you're looking or working on? Um, well, I'm still building out my tool. Um, you know, I, 
mainly what I try to do is also educate people on Bitcoin through my charts. And uh, I do market analysis as well. Well, listen, we will share this out in the show notes. Um, tell people where to follow you. Yeah, I'm at the rational Root on Twitter. Big carrot. Um, really appreciate you coming in and doing this. This is super cool. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't know about you, Danny. This made me more bullish again. I'm pretty bullish. Thank you so much for having me. Dude, you can come on the show whenever you like. You have a free pass to call me or Danny up and say, I've got some shit I want to show you because that that is brilliant. So thank you for doing that. Uh, Anyone listening, yeah, this was one of those ones you really need to see. So go check out uh, the YouTube video. Go check out the show notes. Check out the charts. Thank you, Root. That was amazing. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Okay, thank you for listening to What Bitcoin Did. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Root. Now, I know we were getting into the on-chain analysis and it's had its fair share of critics, so it should be taken with a pinch of salt and looked at in the wider context of the broader macro environment. But I think Root has managed to tease out some incredibly interesting analysis, so that is definitely something worth sharing. Like I say, if you are only listening to this, it is worth going to check out the show notes. It is also worth going to YouTube and watching the video of this. But if you've got any questions about this or anything else, feel free to get in touch. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com.